Take a break from what today is no total loss. Welcome, welcome to the latest edition of the South Dakota Podcast and Blast. I am your host, your guide, uh, your, what did I say before, Sherpa, I guess. I don't know, for lack of better terms. Chris Hall with South Dakota Game Fisher Parks. And joining me once again, back by popular demand, is my co-host and cohort, Nick Harrington. Nick, how are we doing today, buddy? I am good, but I don't think I'm a very good Sherpa. I think I'm a better co-Sherpa. But co- thanks for having me back on, Chris. Co-Sherpa, right. Um, I had a lot of comments from, from the episode that we did with uh, question and answers. So uh, Nick and I have been collecting a few more of those. And to help us with some of the more real sciencey stuff, even though Nick got a wildlife science degree, we've got uh, probably one of the brainiest dudes I know out of the Fort Pier office, fisheries biologist, Bullet Bob Hanton. Bob, you there? And how are we doing? You bet. I'm here. I'm I'm doing great. And that's probably the nicest introduction <laughs> you've ever given me. So I'm going to say thank you. <laughs> hey, it's it's uh, it's well deserved. Bob's been on before, um, talking salmon and doing some other stuff. But um, I think we'll just start out before we really get into the questions. What's uh, anybody catching any fish? Personally, uh, you know I. Oh, I'll, I'll let Nick take that. Oh, I'm not going to give my spots away, but yeah, we've been we've been catching some fish up on Lake Sharp. We've we've been catching walleyes. We've been fishing all over town. Um, water temp is starting to warm up. I believe I saw 46 yesterday. Right. And now it's so warm this week that it that's going to be skyrocketing. Warm and warm sun. Right. Definitely going to heat up, and I think going to get better and better. Bob, what do walleyes? What temperature do walleye spawn in? You know. Really, we're we're entering into that time period where, you know, right around that 44 to 47, even 48 degrees. So we're starting to knock on the door of walleye spawning. Uh, we're going to see those males starting to stage. Um, you know, they're going to be a little more aggressive. So on the front edge of that spawn, they're going to, you know, they're going to they're going to be you're going to be able to catch some of those fish. Uh, females, of course, are are going to be you're not going to see a lot of those fish pre-spawn, but right. Yeah, I mean we're we're heading into the spawn, so that's gonna that's gonna shut that bite down some here. So, right, I uh, that'll I, be my excuse. Thank you, Bob. Yes, <laughs> I actually stayed out uh, until about eleven o'clock shore fishing last night. The wind laid down, and uh, it was really nice. And uh, fished in the dark and caught a few fish. So my slump is over. I've been up on Lake Oahe the last couple weekends fishing pike, and it's been good. And I. That water's still really cold. I think we had surface temperature 37 up in the Cheyenne last week. Uh, um, fish are still, pike are still, still got eggs in them. Uh, I think we caught, we've caught 15 in the last two weekends, and only one of them had, you know, had uh, active eggs or ripe eggs, I guess, that were coming out a little bit. But uh, so there's probably a week left of that really good there before that. They get spawned out, and then you still got a couple weeks. But the catfish are getting really active. We caught a lot of catfish this last weekend, so uh, a lot of fun. But I've been in a raging slump. I caught a walleye on my first cast of the year, and it's been a struggle. I've been on the struggle bus ever since. So, um, what are we hearing for uh, other spots, Nick? Like south, south up here on Francis Case, and then anybody hearing anything up in the northeast or even west? 
Yeah, down on Francis' case, they've been doing well fishing that Chamberlain area. Um, Crow Creek, White River, those are always really good, really good spots this time of year. And then uh, Fort Randall Dam down there, too. That's been really good. Yeah, I've seen some seen some reports of that country down there. Um, I haven't really heard much in the Northeast, a little bit. I've seen a few pictures, and a couple of my friends sent some pictures, but uh, I think that's only going to get better, too. So. Yeah, because yeah, they, they probably got ice out, what, seven, ten days ago now? Yeah, on some of those Upper Hills lakes, for sure. Um, I know yeah. it, there's been some guys fishing, like, moving water in between the lakes and, and doing really well. So, so good. Stuff and I saw one of Bob's salmon got caught, or I've seen a few pictures of some salmon. Bob's kind of our salmon guy, so yeah, yeah, we have had you know a few anglers up, uh, uh pulling plugs and spoons up above on the face of the dam in those areas, kind of making a dual dual trip where they're trying for pike and salmon, and you know getting a, a kind of a smattering of both. Some guys are so. Um, you know, unfortunately, we are seeing some, I guess, more salmon than I would like to see uh, down below uh, in Lake Sharp right. and still in Basin and Tail Race being caught. But, um, you know, if they're being caught, I'm happy. It's just the idea that they should be up in Lake Hawaii right. where they'll grow better and right. we can collect them to spawn and get eggs for the future. But uh, we've got we've got salmon in both locations right now. Yeah, come on now. You're, you're always the guy who taught me availability and return to angler. And uh, if they're in that fast water, they're gonna they're available for anglers. That's for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean that's that's a positive. And you know, as long as they're caught and utilized, it's just a uh, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, be nice I to have you. them up on the big lake, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Cool. Well, we'll get uh, we'll get rolling with some question and answers. Uh, Nick and I have a few questions, a couple of repeat questions, but ones that we've been getting on social media a bunch and ones that I've been getting through emails, um, kind of fishing-related. We'll go through a bunch of stuff, and we'll have Bob available, and then we'll let Bob go do some social distancing on, on Lake Oahe with his family, and Nick and I will hack through a few more questions. So we'll get mm-hmm. rolling. Um, Nick, first question I got a ton of. Um, when are these fish cleaning stations going to be open? Oh, yeah. I've got that question a lot, too. And the moral of the story is it sounds like fish cleaning stations, they're going to be closed quite for the foreseeable future. Those are areas that anglers are con- congregate after a day on the water, especially, you know, that afternoon. And it looks like those sp- those cleaning stations are not going to be open Um However, my garage has become an excellent cleaning station. I believe yours has too, Chris. Yeah, and, and oh. let's let's talk about that a little bit, Bob. I mean, you've been around a long time. Even you know, you and I probably predate fish cleaning stations. Nick doesn't because he's twelve. But um, you know, Nick, twenty-three. Go ahead and start in about you know <laughs> what should what should we you know we're kind of out of that practice you know um of of cleaning fish without a cleaning station especially around pier i know like up in the northeast and stuff anglers you know kind of make do and stuff but talk about what you need and what we should be doing um you know just to just to get people if they're going out on these trips you're loading your poles you're loading your gear you know what are those other things you probably should be throwing in and and utilizing yeah you know some of those things would be you know just taking along a basically a cleaning board or something like right. that and a, and a bucket and a flay knife and you know it's uh most of my stuff i do is you know 
even before the cleaning stations are open is if you you bring them back and you just clean fish in your garage or you know on the tailgate of your truck out in the yard um you know and of course making sure you properly dispose of you know the fish carcasses you know one so your dog doesn't get into them but (laughs) you know (laughs) a lot of times what i would do is take those and i'd put them in the freezer and then the day before trash would come around i'd take them out of the freezer and put them in the trash can yeah Nick, I know you got a pretty pretty solid process that you that you whip through. Pretty similar. Or? Yep, we it, very similar. We get them to the garage. We have that cleaning board. Luckily, I'm not catching those big pike and catfish. My <laughs> walleye are all under you know 18 inches, so I don't need a big big board. And then I've I've got that electric fillet knife. We've got a good plug in the garage, but we can do it. We got that cigarette lighter too in the truck. Right. So if we need to, we have made it reach. You kind of have to be a little interesting, but it can happen. And then we've got a five-gallon bucket, some trash bags, Walmart bags, runnings bags, put the carcasses in there. And the other thing I've been doing is putting the dead minnows in there, too. Yep. So then that, that, too. that cleans up my tank, and then I'm not throwing them on the ground and littering and all that stuff, too. So then, you know, make this way. I've had a bucket of water so that I can kind of rinse the flays out and then put them in a bag and then wash them better once we get them to the kitchen. But then that also gives me something to uh, do the tailgate with if I need the knives, that kind of stuff, too, and tie it off. And like Bob said, freezing's a great idea. I haven't thought of that yet, but now it's finally getting warmer. That's probably going to bite me now, so (laughs) I'd have to start that. Yeah, you know, and and this is something that's actually kind of surprised me because, you know, Normally, our fish cleaning stations are just kind of getting ramped up and, and hadn't really heard about it, you know, a few people asking, but more on the, you know, please close down cleaning stations because people are congregating. Well, now I'm starting to hear, and I know Nick is too, you know, you guys got to open up these fish cleaning stations, and we're, we're just trying to make the best out of a out of a really crappy situation, to be honest with you, and, and those cleaning stations aren't going to be open, um, you know, I, I had some people say, well, we're just, we've just been cleaning our fish right on the sure well inevitably those carcasses and stuff get chucked into the water and stuff and we'll talk about that later but you know you got to get those bagged up and 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 home and in the garbage or at a garbage along the way or something uh you know um so yeah don't be throwing the guts and stuff out but we're trying to make the best out of a crappy situation and and uh and so those those tips i've been i actually like double and triple bag all my fish guts just so they don't somehow open up and leak and and um, I did freeze some guts the other day, but all those pike guts, I had them in three bags and a cooler and um, just so they wouldn't spill open. But, uh, but yeah, good good stuff. Um, what are we hearing on boat ramps? Nick, where's the best place to check on boat ramps being open, closed, available? Definitely the best place to check is we've got our public fishing access atlas on our on our website. Go to our website. Go to maps. You're going to see a walleye there, right there. It's got a jig in its mouth. Click on that, and then you can hover over the boat ramp you want to go to. If it's blue, it's open. You can click on it. You can get some more information. And then if it's red, that means it's still closed. So I would not recommend launching there. Unless you have a buddy, and you know. Just just because some of those ramps aren't, those docks aren't in yet, doesn't mean the ramps are closed. Right. So be mindful of that, too. If it's a state launch... Even though the dock might still not be in, you stand, you can still legally launch there. So that's another thing that we need to think about too. Right, and uh, and I I think our our crews have been doing a pretty good job. You know, if you are at a local, you check one of those and 
on the maps or you, you see that one isn't in, you know, don't don't be afraid to reach out to us via email or, or social media. I'm sure if it's not in, it's going in uh, in the very near future. Like you said, ice just got out uh, on some of those higher lakes up in the northeast, and I think there's still ice out in the hills. Uh, I thought I saw a picture of Deerfield or one of those that still had ice on it this weekend. So crews are out there doing it. If they aren't in, be patient. They're coming in. So... So let's get let's get Bob involved here and let him spread some of his amazing knowledge. Um, some talk finally this week. I was wondering when it was going to come out, and, and Nick, actually, you asked me the question, and, and we started talking about it. So go ahead and fire away at Bob here. Yeah, Bob, the big question is, are you guys going to be walleye spawning this year? I mean, it's, it's go time right now. I remember last year you guys did it. The guys over east did it, I believe, over Easter weekend. So what what's the plan for spawning walleye this year? Are we going to do it? Sure. Uh, you know, actually, uh, you know, to answer your question right up front, the answer is no. Um, you know, and it's uh, South Dakota, along with a lot of our other states around us, um, basically aren't going to be conducting walleye spawning operations and it's it's really all due to you know the COVID-19 uh, pandemic um you know there are a couple states close by that are that are trying some some minimal you know techniques to try to get their spawning operations in but uh most really are not not doing any form of operation and you know the whole point or the whole thing behind that is uh, there's really not a good way to do um, a walleye spine operation uh, without being directly interacting and contacting <laughs> other crews in a boat right. or spawning fish. I mean, it's a it's a physical activity that you know uh, requires clo- close quarters most of the time. Right, and and uh, and I know Nick, you've done it, and, and so have I. It's it's not a one person job by any means. I, I don't know anybody in the world who's tough enough to do it by themselves. It's it's heavy lifting. It's it's heavy pulling. It's sorting. It, it's it's a lot of work when you have a big crew and you're you're working like Bob said, pretty much on top of each other. And and uh, so, well, there's the answer, I guess. So, um, yeah, and and that thing. Think about driving your own boat and trying to bottom bounce or troll plug and then put three more guys bouncing around and about eight times the fish, and that's what you're doing working those nets. That's the only way I can describe it, being involved with it. Right. Bob, you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's sometimes organized chaos. Yeah, it, it really can be. It really can be. And, you know, like I said, some other states have gotten some techniques that, that they're working out, you know, ultra-small crews and making it happen, but... Uh, you know, we just are putting safety first and prioritizing, you know, other things in our department, you know, that, uh, you know, are, are just, uh, you know, at this time, just not a smart thing to be doing for our crews. Right. I, I liken it to you got a thing full of fish and then all those empty nets. It's like the deadliest catch because every time I go out with you guys, the wind's blowing 40 anyway, and I'm thinking I'm going to fall in and you guys are just going to go, yep, see you later and throw a flower and. Just keep going. But, uh, oh, we'd come back and pick you up. Yeah. We'd pick you up. A few days later. It might be a while. Later. Right. Yeah, you know, we'll run it <laughs> first, but then we'll pick you up. Right. So, Bob, since, since since we're not we're not walleye spawning, there's a lot of uh, gnashing of teeth and people worried about, 
you know, their local lakes and, you know, how are these lakes going to do with, you know, no stocking? Our lake, you know, whatever it was, Madison or whatever, was scheduled to get a, you know, a good shot in the arm with these fish. You know, what's it going to do to impact these lakes? Yeah, you know, it, it's an interesting question. And, you know, I guess, you know, to start out last year, we really had the luxury, especially, well, statewide, of of elevated or high water levels in the spring, flooding vegetation, and really creating ideal spawning conditions for walleyes. Um, you know, we're focused on walleyes, but also pike and northern pike. Um, really, it pointed to uh, producing some uh, what we think are some a pretty good year class of fish naturally in a lot of these systems, uh, even in the eastern part of the state. Um, so, you know, what we were thinking 2019 was a strong year and that, you know, what we found in the past is, you know, following a, a strong year of natural reproduction with a year of stocking fish, uh, doesn't always, you know, we don't always see a lot of success trying to back up in the following year by us going out stocking fish. So, um, you know, if we were going to have a year to not be able to get out and really collect fish and do what we like to do and spawn and um, you know, get fish in the hatcheries, you know, this might not be that bad a year just to to let you know last year's really strong year classes um, that we think happened in a lot of those lakes uh, to really take hold and do what they need to do. Good, good. And and Bob, when you're talking natural reproduction, and all I can think of is, uh, again, we, last, last time I was on here, we talked about how I was a Nebraska boy. And one of the things that brought me to South Dakota was our Missouri River reservoirs are walleye factories. I mean, that is, if you ask someone what they think of Francis Case, that's going to be the language they use. And so, correct me if I'm wrong, but we don't do natural, we, we don't do docking efforts in these Missouri River reservoirs, correct? It's all natural? Uh, correct. I, I mean, we have done a little supplemental stocking uh, the last couple of years up in Lake Hawaii. Um, but in, in general, uh, these reservoirs, uh, Missouri River reservoirs, really are what you would call a walleye factory, just like you described it. Um, when conditions are good, uh, they will produce uh, natural year classes of walleyes that are more uh, abundant and better condition than what we can do, um, you know, by collecting eggs and stocking fish back in. And the real walleye factories that are the most consistent are, you know, Lake Sharp and Lake Francis Case. Um, you know, they really are um, a hands-off, um, as far as the stocking, walleye stocking, um, a great resource that we kind of take for granted, but a lot of places in the country don't have the luxury of having good year classes of walleyes produced, you know, maybe three out of five years and basically creating awesome walleye fisheries. Cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you nailed it right there. You know, and just, I guess a little expansion on that too is, you know, up on Lake Hawaii, um, last year we flooded or raised water up into, uh, the highest elevations on that reservoir, which flooded vegetation and really produced uh, a good opportunity to have a, a year class of walleyes produced last year, too, that we didn't expect because 
the reservoir got so high, I came up into the exclusive flood pool uh, that, uh, you know, we think we produced some some areas of natural reproduction there, too. And Bob, I'm going to back up a little bit here. We're talking about Lake Oahe. I remember our Missouri River update meeting on Lake Oahe a couple months ago, and we talked about that there was like a monster year class in 2009, and that was still carrying fishing throughout this time. I mean, can those year classes really carry fish, you know, 11, 12 years? Uh, you know, exceptionally strong year classes with the right conditions really can carry a long ways uh, into the future. Uh, you know, basically future walleyes to be caught by anglers. And 09 was one of those years where we had extended drought, you know, from 04 to 07. Uh, water came up, flooded vegetation, and really produced the perfect conditions for walleye spawn and survival um, through that summer and fall. And those fish recruited. And, yeah, I mean, they're present, and those are those are the quality big walleyes that you see uh, that anglers are really seeking out right now you know and they've been enjoying a lot of good food out there in the system that 2009 year class and you know they're going to be your five to eight pound walleyes cool what about smelt bob when do they typically spawn what water temperature and do you think we're going to see do we have anybody out peeking around looking around and seeing if we'll have any uh, smelt spawn at all Sure. Uh, you know, typically our, our smell spawn occurs uh, right around that, that middle part of April. Um, you know, right around, you know, I guess I guess you want exact, you know, around that 6.7 degrees Celsius. You know, what's that, around 43? <laughs> <laughs> around 43, sure. 44 degrees. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> Sorry to all our Canadian oh. friends. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that... Uh, that should be occurring right now, um, uh, and actually, we might have had some of those smelt spawns occurring. We could even be starting to see the backside soon. Um, and you know, I've talked to a few guys that have been out looking to see if they can try to dip set, uh, excuse me, dip net some smelt, and uh, haven't heard of any success. But you know, that's one of those deals that you need the right weather conditions and the right night, right. and you need to be in the right place. You know. To, to catch a smelt actively spawning. God, I miss that. That's uh, that's some of the most fun a guy can have uh, legally on Lake Oahe. That oh, that it was is. a ton of fun. But uh, I digress. So, uh, are we doing any stocking at all, Bob? Of anything? Um, you know, right now up in Lake Hawaii, I guess you know the only stockings we're doing are are Chinook salmon. Um, really, as far as you know, from the hatchery side of things, uh, you know, the COVID pandemic has has basically limited a lot of the stockings that are going on from our hatcheries, but they are doing cold water stockings for trout, you know, in the eastern part of the state. Um, and, you know, we're still slated to stock Chinook salmon come the end of May uh, in Lake Hawaii and then again in the fall. Cool. Cool, cool. Well, and, and now, Bob, just go. can I can I steal you one question on those salmon? They don't spawn the same time as walleye. They spawn in October, correct? That's when we opened that Whitlock spawning station. Correct, correct. They're a fall spawn fish. Um, you know, our strain of chinook or fall chinook, um, and really what that means when they say spring or fall fish, 
these fall fish, um, uh, yeah, it's an October spawn. Uh, occurs, you know, have the tendency most of these fish to end up around that Whitlock Bay country. And, uh, October's the month when we, uh, have those fish returned to us up at the salmon station and, and we collect eggs. So, yeah, definitely a fall activity for us there. Well, well, at least we got that one in. That's good news, and hopefully we're all good by this fall, and we can keep doing that. Absolutely. Now you're speaking Bob's language, Nick. I I, I had to get him in there. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bob, we got one more question for you, and it's a it's a doozy. Um, Nick, you want to ask it, or do you want me to start, or am I the bad guy, or are you? I'm gonna let you be the bad guy. I just gave all him a question he liked. All right. <laughs> So, Bob, you know, every year we put out a, a like a fish advisory and, and it, you know, kind of um, pertaining to mercury and, and every state does it. And, and it's always been just kind of a standard thing, you know, hey, check, check the list on the Department of Health. And, and, you know, it's just a kind of a courtesy thing almost and just keeping it in people's minds. Well, last year I I did the release. Nick, Nick did some language on on Facebook and it's caught fire <laughs> um just talking about mercury levels in some of the lakes um and and recommended like limited fish consumption of a meal of a meal a week and it it caught fire it got retweeted people were um just tipped over about it there were reporters calling and stuff so let's talk about mercury in lakes like how does mercury get in a lake to a level that you know it, it would be detrimental or or maybe something people should be thinking about anyway? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, it, to most people, it doesn't doesn't even make sense, you know, that you can have or that you'd have a problem with mercury in, in, in a lake or, you know, in South Dakota. Um, you know, really the sources for uh, elemental mercury, which is uh, the mercury that is moved around in the atmosphere, uh, typically comes from either... Uh, coal-fired power plants or solid waste incinerators, basically trash incinerators. Um, there is also sources of natural elemental mercury that are in the soils that are actually in South Dakota, too. So there's there's kind of three different ways, I guess, that I see uh, mercury being present and either falling you know, in the form of rainfall, um, an atmospheric deposition to the lake or being in the soil and coming into the system that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the deal is though that elemental mercury is not really the problem. It's, it's what they call methyl mercury, um, which is what is composed of fish advisories and, uh, what concerns, you know, basically department of health and, and myself too, in regards to, advisories is basically this type of mercury that changes elemental mercury in a water uh, through what they call a methylation process. All that means is that there's certain types of bacteria that live in the water that live in areas where we have decomposing vegetation that can take elemental mercury and turn it to a methyl form. And the reason that's important is Methylmercury can bind with tissues, and that can actually bioaccumulate as you go up the food chain. 
And and that's what that's the uh, the mercury that we're always watching for in freshwater fish. Good enough. So so this so, list. Oh, go ahead, so, Dave. So Bob, as you talk about going up the food chain, when when I look at this list, I'm going to see a lot of let's say walleyes. Most of them are going to be greater than 20 inches. Some of them maybe 18 inches. It'll vary by the lake, but that's saying those are my older, bigger predators. Is that is that fair to say then? Yeah, that's exactly the truth. Um, you know, and if you think of, you know, the fancy word of bioaccumulation, it just means that, you know, small things eat bigger things, small fish eat the, are eaten by bigger fish, and then your top-level predator in the fish worlds are going to be your large walleyes, your large pike, your large largemouth bass, um, and other, you know, predators like that. Those are the ones that are going to have the highest levels of mercury, and, uh, you know, typically if we're going to have a problem, they'll show up there. You know, I, I guess one thing I would add, though, is um, in South Dakota, we test for all different types of contaminants. The only one we have advisories are, are for mercury in fish, and we've tested close to 200 water bodies in the state of South Dakota, and I think we're up to 24 that actually have advisories that we limit some form of consumption of those larger size fish in those waters. So, you know, I, I always look at it as that we really have a have pretty clean waters and uh, really not a lot to worry about. Right. And, and, and just, just as a, just another reminder, I mean, this list is there, but it's just saying, you know, don't eat fish out of these lakes every day. <laughs> it's yeah. saying, go ahead and enjoy this fish, you know, but just, just limit your consumption of you know once a week or you know whatever and and it's I don't think it's anything anybody needs to be overly concerned about. We just always put it out as just a hey keep this in mind, um, kind of thing I guess. Yeah, Bob. You Bob know, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, you know, and I guess one thing that I would add is, you know, the worst thing that you could do is is not to eat fish. Um, you know, fish are an excellent source of protein. Honestly, you know, you really need to include fish in your diet. And the thing that we're asking is that if you're going to eat fish, you know, just make sure that the water you're catching those fish out of doesn't have an advisory. If it does, just limit the number of meals you eat out of there. Right. So, Bob, how do you, like, how do you go about how often do these lakes get tested and how do you test a fish for mercury? Sure. Um, you know, a lot of these waters we test, they come back, you know, mercury levels aren't that bad. We're not that concerned. You know, we'll try to get back every 15 years. Uh, uh, now if it's a water that comes back with mercury levels that are, that are elevated, we'll try to test those about every five years. Um, now how do we test them? Well, that's kind of a neat process. Um, if you've ever been to the dermatologist and seen what they call a biopsy punch, um, you probably will never forget it. But um, we basically use these little plugs. They take a, a plug of tissue you can carve out of a fish. Um, they're really small um, chunk of flesh. Uh, basically put that into a container, seal it up, send it off uh, for testing. And uh, they're able to get the results they need to determine um, 
if we have a problem with mercury in fish. Cool. And now, Bob, when you say fish, when when we look at this list, we're going to see mainly walleye and pike, and then maybe some bass and crappie. But that's not just the fish we're testing, right? If, if memory serves, we do we'll, we'll do a variety of species like high, fish higher, fish on the catfish on the lower. Is is that kind of true, or how how do we do the species themselves, not just the pretty ones, so to say? You bet. That's that's a great point, Nick. Uh, what it is is. Uh, when we, we actually request from our, our area fisheries managers uh, what fish are available to test in each of these waters, and they'll come up with a list of species uh, that are present. So we might test anywhere from bluegills to bullheads, um, and you know the only thing you're seeing on the list at the end product is something where we found an elevated level in fish tissue and we're recommending uh, limited consumption of those fish. Um, you know, it might be walleyes that are over 25 inches out of Lake X, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, that's kind of how it goes about. So, yeah, we test everything, all different species of fish. It's it's interesting to me, Bob. I'm looking at this list, and for anybody uh, anybody who wants to, to look at it, it's uh, doh.sd.gov, uh, and then you can just go and then look for fish consumption advisories. You know, you always talk about, you know, I'm I'm down on the James or the Big Sioux, and I catch a catfish, and you're like, ah, oh, I'm not going to eat. You know, it's a ten pound catfish. I'd never eat that. It's full of, you know, full of all kinds of stuff, and it may or may not be, but I don't see catfish listed on any of these anywhere. Just- you're right. I. Typically, catfish don't fall out that high. Um, you know, they're kind of a, you know, what we call omnivorous. Um, they eat all different types of things. And, you know, sometimes they're eating things that are high on the food chain, sometimes low on the food chain. And, um, you know, where you get these other predators like walleyes and pike, and they have a tendency to be more fish-oriented. So they're eating things, they're eating prey items that are higher up in the food chain. So. Sure. If we if we even have a problem, you know, and like I said, we're really lucky because even though the only contaminant advisories we consumption advisories we have in the state of South Dakota are mercury related, and there's really not that many um, compared to other states. So, cool. Fair enough, Nick. You got anything else for old Bullet Bob here? I, I just got one thing to say to follow up on that, and when you look at that list, I have personally eaten walleye out of several of those lakes, and I mean, I'm as good as you can think. You know, right. I'm I'm okay. Well, I, I'm not okay, but you know, physically okay. Re- relatively speaking, okay. Well, and it's probably got nothing to do with the fish, so it's, right. You know. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, and the air is probably. Right. And it, and it's that's a good point, Nick. I mean, it, that's why we brought this up. Is is last year there was a lot of interest and a lot of gnashing of teeth, and and you know there's some really popular fisheries on this list, and people were you know we were getting why are you guys causing this panic? And you know it, it's nothing, and we're like we're we're exact you're exactly right. It is nothing. It's something we do every year just to kind of put it in people's brains, and and uh, that's why we're talking about it. I mean. Uh, you know, go ahead and, and get out and, and, and fish and social distance and, and keep some fish and, and eat them, but just be aware that this list is here and, and um, you know, if nothing else, it gets people talking a little bit. So, so yeah. 
for what it's worth. You so. know, and, and Chris, I would add one other resource on that Department of Health website. You know, since we work with Department of Health, uh, Department of Environment and Natural Resources and Game Fish and Parks, we kind of work as a three-agency group with doing the testing and collecting fish and getting the results out to the public. Department of Health's got a really good interactive map where you can pull up the map and see where those active advisories are right. on on their map. And I think we even added one, a layer to our South Dakota, to our Game Fish and Parks uh, uh, fishing uh, access page too on that one. Yeah, so. I think you're right. Cool. Cool, cool. I believe I've seen that too, yep. So, well, Bob, on this beautiful, uh, what the heck day is it? Does it even matter? Uh, beautiful I think it's Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, beautiful Tuesday. We're going to let you get out and go uh, hang out with your lovely family. And, and thanks for your time, and I'm sure we'll have you back on, buddy. Great, great. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, guys. Yep, thanks. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Cool. Bob Hanton, smart dude. Yeah. Yeah, he sometimes I I look at him when we're talking and and it's like, dude, uh, speak English. Uh, you're speaking biology, so but good dude, um loves his job and he's good at it. So Nick, what do yeah, you got for definitely. What do you got what are you getting for questions, man? Let's keep well, this question train I think, rolling. I think we're going to I think we're going to transition off the fish if that's okay with you, Chris. Right. I mean, I know I love to talk about it too. But we've got turkey season going on. I am a very I misplace a lot of things. How do I get my hunt safe number? This, this has been a question we've got a lot of. Go ahead and tell me how to how to get it. it you know, and the other thing, Nick, and I I kind of forgot about it because I don't always do the monitoring of the uh, of the email. But it's also the time of year where where people are starting to apply for big game tags all over the country, and oh, yep. a lot yeah. of those places you need to have your hunter. Uh, your hunter safe number um to apply and uh you know so it's it's we're getting it from you know fathers who are like hey my my daughter my son just graduated from hunt safe and and i want to apply for deer tags and turkey tags but we're also getting it from 60 year old men that are going you know i'm going on my trip of a lifetime hunt to colorado or alaska or british columbia and I, i i you know my hunt safe card is 50 years long gone. So, um, so we got a couple processes, a couple ways of doing that. And I, I probably had over the weekend, I bet I had 35 to 50 of these emails looking for their hunt safe ID. Um, a couple different ways you could do it. You go out onto our website, which is gfp.sd.gov. And, uh, you go up, you can click on the easiest way to do it is click on the little search bar, the little, uh, magnifying glass type in hunt safe or you know hunter education it'll come up uh actual website is gfp.sd.gov slash hunter dash education and um go down about halfway down the page it says if you lose your hunt safe or bow hunter id card you can replace your card right here you click on that you can fill in your information if you're one of the lucky ones it'll be in there now some of the older ones uh you know if you took it uh, you know in the early 80s or earlier it's probably not in that list um, but some of them are um, you can print it off right there if you're on there otherwise um, if that does not work 
you can send an email and there's an email link right there right next to the hunt safe thing but it's wildinfo at state.sd.us give us your full name and date of birth send it an email i look at it and get it uh get it run through and we we get it right back to you so it's pretty easy but it's it's, it's one that we're getting a ton of questions on and, and it's a good one and I think I'm actually uh, halfway done making a little video and we'll, that we'll put out and, to help people do that too. So that's a good question. Awesome. And, yeah, that's a great point. We, it, is, it is application season. We've got, what, elk, mountain goat. Those are open for us right now. Right. And then deer is going to be rolling around late May and June. That's a June 12th paper and, what is it, 15th for online That next Wednesday yeah, at yeah. 8 a.m.? Yep. So, so, yeah, we'll be getting a lot of those. Elk is... I think Elks May 15 for paper and then the following Wednesday online too. So yep. yeah, it's that time of year already. Like yeah. We just got done with it the first time, but here we are again. Right. And, <laughs> and, uh, also a little plug, we've got that hunt for habitat, uh, super tag drawing going on. When's the deadline for that, Nick? Yep. Deadline for that one is July 15th. Okay, and then I think we're going to draw that like the next day and try to have the winners announced by that Friday the 17th. Right. And so that's going to be a fast turnaround once, once that happens. We won't make you wait too long. Yep. Yep. And that's, those tags are an elk, an antelope, and a deer tag, any, uh, any rifle or any season, any weapon. And they're good for either one uh, this year or next year. So that's the second year we're doing that. We'll talk about a little bit more or a lot bit more about that. Um, and where the money went from last year and numbers and all that stuff in a later podcast. But yeah, that's a good point. We've got a lot of, a lot of application deadlines coming up. So uh, we do our best to make sure people aren't missing those, but, but uh, now I'm really yep. shifting gears on you here, Nick. Um, oh boy. Th this is the time of year. This is as big as the hunt safe one and probably even bigger. Um, I know you've yep. seen a couple of them and I've had a whole slug of them. And usually our outdoor campuses are inundated with baby critters this time of year not that they've raised but ones that people bring in and were found abandoned what should folks do if they find a and quote-unquote abandoned bunny or deer or raccoon or fox or whatever yes abandon is the magic word there and I, i'll be honest I, I love those cute little critters as much as anybody else but the big thing we've got to know is many of those times, those are not abandoned animals. The mother is nearby. They are, they're out getting food. They put their baby somewhere safe. They might even be just watching what's going on and not showing themselves. Many, many times those animals are not abandoned, and we are going to do way more harm than good picking them up, moving them, getting our scent on them, and we ever could just leaving them and letting nature, especially mother mother animals, take care of their young. I mean, we've, we've got wonderful mothers as adults, and there are wonderful mothers in the animal kingdom too. So that is definitely the best thing we can do. Just leave it there. Leave it be. It's, it's really going to be okay. Those, that, is, that is nature will take care of its own. I promise you. Right, and, and we always use the, you know, if you care, leave it there. And, and I think one of the biggest misconceptions out there on this is, you know, they, they especially our campuses and regional offices, somebody brings in a critter and says, well, there's a, you guys have somebody that takes care of these, or there's a veterinarian somewhere that takes care of these, or uh, maybe we can put it in a zoo. Um, that just, those, those 
facilities like that just don't really exist here in South nope. Dakota, and and we sure don't you know make it a practice of taking care of it because we would have a zoo in every one of our regional offices um, because it's literally 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 of them a year at, at a lot of the, these places, and there's just no place for them to go. Um, and, and it's a, just a tough situation. People want to do what they think is right, and they don't want to see an animal suffer or everything, but you know, your point is well raised that, yeah, most of the time that, that mama is around and, and, you know, she might be out going to get something to eat, or like you said, she might just be laying in the tall grass watching and, and to go and pick that, pick that little critter up. I, I hesitate to use it, but it, a lot of times if you pick it up, it's a death sentence. That critter is, is, is not going to make it, um, because there's just no place for him to go other than in the wild. Um, so, you know, it, it yeah. is, yeah, that, that's just a harsh reality of something that, folks are trying to do the right thing and then they find this cute little fuzzy thing. And, um, you know, I remember when I was a kid, my dog brought back a little baby jackrabbit and it, it was, you know, still like wet from being born. And I have no doubt that my dog probably either chased that mama away or she caught it and killed it. And she brought home this little baby jackrabbit in her mouth and it was still alive. And my brother and I, you know, we read the book rascal where the guy had all these wild pets in in wisconsin in the in the 50s or 40s i guess it was and we we somehow we raised that little jackrabbit and by you know by two weeks you couldn't even pick it up it was biting you and scratching you and and uh it got out in our house and we chased it for three days before we finally caught it and you know we let it go and it lived in a rock garden in our in our yard for years but yeah for the most part man you pick one of those things up it's you're you're certainly not helping it um so i can't stress that enough um i don't want to you know beat an issue into the ground but it's just one that we're already starting to hear a little bit out there and uh with our with our staffs being you know offices being closed and we're being short staffed and everything it's just i i hope it's not a problem where our phones are ringing off the hook and, and our emails and, and social media stuff is just blowing up with people with these critters um if you care, leave it there. That's that's for our friend, uh, former uh, outdoor campus director Thea Miller Ryan used to get those, and it would just tip her over constantly. So, so <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think you hit it on the head. And the only thing I want to add to that too is, I mean, we we work for an agency that you know conserves our natural resources, but the other thing we have to think about is nature takes really good care of itself, better than we ever could. Right. So. Those those mother animals in nature, they know what they need, and they're very very good at it. And I I think you hit I think you hit it on the head there perfectly. Right, right. All right, shifting gears again. Probably, what do you got for anything? So anything else coming the, up? The next the next question I got for you. We're gonna we're gonna bring it back to fishing, and we're gonna bring it back to fish consumption. But it's not gonna be fish consumption. Can I trap my own bait? And if I do trap my own bait, how about trapping crayfish for personal consumption? One, are they good? And two, can I do it? Well, I will attest personally that they're delicious. We used to have a crick uh, when I was a kid that ran through our backyard, and we would trap crayfish all the time. And uh, I'd boil them right out on the right out on a rock, right out on a crick, and and uh and eat them you know it, it 
thousands and thousands of people down in Louisiana can't be wrong with the crayfish boil, right? Um, but I, I, I was going to say, those are wildly popular. Right. And I actually got, got this question, too, on an email. I had a long conversation with uh, a gentleman who uh, wanted to trap some crayfish for personal consumption out in a western reservoir out in the Black Hills. Um, you know, trapping of bait, you know, whether you're going to use it for bait or to eat, um, you know, like we had the conversation with Bob about smelt, um, you know, netting smelt is one of the funnest things you can do. Um, but, uh, you can do it, but there are places and it's mainly that Jim river stretch through South Dakota because there are, um, Asian carp in there, um, that you can't trap. Um, I, I, I referred this guy to pages 26 and 27 of our fishing handbook where it talks about non-commercial bait regulations. And he, um, you know, there are, like I said, that Jim River, kind of that swell that goes through that drainage. But then there are some exceptions um, across the state where there might be an invasive water or, um, you know, something else, uh, like, a, you know, lots of green sunfish or something where they were trying to keep them out. Um, this this particular guy that I had the conversation with wanted to uh, trap crayfish in um, Deerfield Lake, which is not allowed. Um, but for the most part, you know, there's a huge swath of the state where you can go out and and um, and trap your own bait, and whether you want to use it for for uh, you know personal fishing or you want to eat them, um, it's it's there. It's a resource. It's available. Um, but I would just be sure to check that fishing handbook. It's laid out pretty good. And like, like I said, it's like pages 26 and 27, I think in the, in the fishing handbook. So, but interesting stuff. Um, I don't know. Did you do any of that stuff when you were a kid living in Nebraska? I, I didn't, I did not know the, the wonderfulness of that crayfish offered until I heard about it down in Louisiana. Right. So I, if anybody has any that they're willing to share, I mean, let, yeah. me, let me know. Give me a call. Yeah, no doubt. I'll come try it. I'll try everything once. No doubt. No doubt. No, it's good stuff. Um, and so we'll keep going on fishing. And this is a something that you and I had a conversation about. And, and it kind of was hot about a week ago on uh, social media and had a lot of comments. And we actually even put something out there. And people were still kind of, oh, no, that's not right, And even though it came from us. So <laughs> what's the penalty for leaving, you know, a, a, a incidentally caught carp or, a, you know, a, a speared carp or a carp that's killed with a bow, um, leaving it on the shoreline? Um, wanted to know. Yeah. Lots of conversation about that. So go ahead and lead yep. us off on that. So this was something – that came to us down from the Gavin's Point area where we have a lot of those invasive Asian carp. And the issue was people had been catching them, snagging them, whatever in them. And they'd been just throwing them on the shoreline. They'd been piling them up. And it was, it was basically windrows of carp yeah. at one point. And the important thing we got to remember is that is illegal. That is not only something that doesn't look good to the general public. That is illegal. It is illegal to dispose of fish carcasses or cleaning, so cleaned or not, on the shoreline, and that includes those carp species. You you can re-release them. I think a lot of people thought because they're an invasive species, if they put them back, they'd be putting invasive species back. Right. And I can understand that, but it, it it's one thing to put a carp back that you caught out of that water body. It's a whole nother to take it home and put it somewhere else. 
you can re-release it out of that water in which it was caught, or if you do want to transport it away, it has to be dead. Right. So if if your intention is to kill that carp, you got to take it with you, whether it's a dumpster, whether it's, you know, what we talked about earlier with the pipe cleanings, you still got to take it with you. Piling it up on the shoreline is just not going to be the answer to anybody, and it, it's going to be littering. It's illegal. Yeah, and, so, and, and not only that, one of our game wardens brought up, it's also wanton waste. Even though it's not right. a game species, it's a wanton waste, so you could actually get two tickets. Uh, now, I don't know if that would happen. I, I guess if somebody was piling up a big windrow of them like, like was happening down in the southeast, uh, yeah, you might get two tickets out of the deal. And, you know, there is a good argument there, and, and I know you were following that thread about, you know, well, why would you release one of, you know, one of those that are invasives and they're harming the, you know, they're harming the fisheries and there's millions of them and, and you know, another commenter was like yeah there's millions of them one of them isn't going to make a difference um so i i know people are trying to do kind of do the right thing especially when it comes to those uh you know those asian carp but man nothing ruins a, a fishing outing um about a week and a half ago i i was out and finally actually stumbled onto a few walleyes and i had my old dog with me and i turn around and she's rolling in like three dead carp and just stink and she'd eaten some and she was puking and it was like you know dang it 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 just it just totally ruined that outing and and i know most people go i don't care it wasn't my outing well you know it's rank and we're we're going out to do these outdoor things because we love our awesome outdoor resources and something like that i was just kind of like well my my night is spoiled you know i gotta go home and wash a old yellow chocolate lab and and uh and hope she doesn't throw up in her kennel um so yeah, so that's that's just the answer there, I guess. Is is yeah, you could get fined wanton waste and littering. Um, you know, it goes back to to our being self sufficient thing too. You know, it, it's legal to clean fish when you're out on the ice or when you're out fishing. You can clean your fish as long as there aren't those length limits. But you can't throw the cleanings and stuff back into the water, thinking, oh, fish are just going to eat those and it'll be fine. Um, yeah, they're going to get eaten to a certain extent, but there's just it's just it's it's littering it just is so you got to take that stuff home and, and get it in the garbage with you so yep I, I, you hit it on the head again and the only thing to add too is it ruined your outing and the other thing we have to think about is we we don't know who the angler was at the end of the day we're all anglers right. we have fishing licenses we have fishing poles right if it ruins your day you're not mad at the angler you don't know. You're you're mad at the fishing community for letting that happen. And right. if we have people walking these shorelines, it just doesn't put any of us in a positive light right. when we've got piles of fish, whether they're carp or not. I mean, your your average your average person looking to walk their dog might not know that that's not a species that might not be the most desirable. Right. So it, it, it always posts us in a positive light. Now, one follow-up question there for you, Chris. Have you ever had Asian carp? Because I heard it's actually kind of good. You know, I have. It's the most aquaculturally grown fish in the world. Um, they were brought here to the United States to help clean out, filter some of the commercially um, uh, commercially uh, catfish farms down in Louisiana. Well, it flooded and they got up the Mississippi. But I've had it a few times, and I've actually done a video um, with Mike Smith, who used to be our aquatic invasive species coordinator we went down and uh got some and cooked it but we also cooked a huge mess of them one time for a division conference so like all our wildlife employees uh we were all at a conference and we cooked like 
70 or 80 of them. And they're kind of weird to clean. There's a weird bone in there, but if you fry it, it's like this really big Y bone. It's almost like, you know, some of them, those bigger ones are the size of your pinky. So you fry these wings and then you just pull the meat right off the, right off the um, bone. Um, and like I said, that's the most agriculturally grown fish or aquaculturally grown, grown fish in the world. And it's good. I mean, I would liken it to catfish. Um, some people were like, oh, it's better than walleye. And I'm like, no, it's not. Um, it has a more of like a catfish <laughs> texture, but it, it's really good. It doesn't really have that, you know, it definitely doesn't taste like a carp. It's really white meat. It's flaky. Um, but yeah, so I've eaten it and I've cleaned them. Um, so when you clean them, they're like some butterscotch pudding looking or pistachio pudding stuff kind of comes leaking out of them. And that's kind of a little gross at first, but, um, yeah, that there are videos out there on how to clean them and, and it's not that hard and, and man, they're available and, and people everywhere eat them. So for what it's worth. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I think I remember it was an in fisherman magazine. They did a taste test and they did car, they did Asian carp and catfish and Asian carp were preferred over the catfish of a blind taste test. So I remember reading that, and I thought that was pretty interesting. But I got another curveball for you. Moving on here, we're going to shift gears once again to, I don't know, kind of the creepy crawly still. I want to breed and sell salamanders for pets. What should I do? Oh, well, you'd send an email to me, and then I'd probably be confused for <laughs> three or four days. And that's actually what happened in this question. I got a, got a, got a nice conversation with a guy, um, wants to sell him his pets, uh, made quite a few phone calls, kind of got it figured out. And really what you need on this deal is a retailer retail bait license. Um, so if you have that, then it, you're not using them for, for you know, personal bait. You're, you're using them for resale. So limits don't apply. Um, you know, um, he wanted to know about, you know, the animal industry board and is there any regulation? And I was like, ah, that, that you're going to have to, you know, go to the department of health and, and some of that other stuff. But in our, in our area or our area of regulation, you need a retailer bait, retail bait license. And then if you're going to sell them across state lines, you need to make sure those other states don't have laws about, you know, tiger salamanders or whatever you're breeding. But that was a cool conversation I had with that guy, and it, that was one of those ones I opened it up, and I just went, oh, man, this is going to take a couple hours of my day. But uh, got to the right people in our office and, and uh, kind of got it figured out. But, the, you know, there's markets for that stuff. You know, I had a little chameleon when I was a kid, and I had salamanders that I caught and turtles. And, and so it's easy to forget about that kind of stuff, that there's a demand for that other than, you know, just fishing. Um, they make cool pets. So, uh, now if I brought one into my house, I'm pretty sure my daughter and my wife would leave. Uh, <laughs> but they're cool critters. And, and, uh, so yeah, that's what, that's what that guy needed. And, and, uh, kind of an interesting, interesting conversation and just kind of uh, sheds light on some of the questions that we get that go from A to Z. So. I was, I was going to say, I, you had way more fun than I did. My mother must've been just no fun. I didn't have any of these pets. <laughs> So, no, not all Nebraskans have a pet coyote. Right. Uh, not all of them. Yeah. <laughs> we, li we lived, we lived uh, next to an awesome creek that ran right through our land. So, I, I mean, I was always bringing stuff home, and and uh, my dad would eventually go and sneak down and down to the creek and let most of them go. So, <laughs> so for what it's worth. So, we've got, um, you know, Nick, there used to be uh, a 
border fishing opener like on for Travers, Lake Travers and Big Stone up in the northeast and it was a little early, you know, walleye season was closed up there. It's not anymore, but it used to be and it would open about now probably. Um so but the the fishing up in that on those two lakes this time of year can be really good and and um shore fishing especially because some of those areas are really rocky, hard to kind of get close enough to a boat. Those fish are tucked in. Lots of questions and, and stuff about um, Big Stone and Travers. Um, Big Stone, I know, has been awesome the last couple winters, last quite a few winters for um, bluegills and perch and stuff. But uh, having a couple questions, actually had two on the same day uh, where a gentleman had a Minnesota and a South Dakota fishing license, and he wanted to know if he could take two limits from like Travers, uh, if he launched in South Dakota, got his fish, then went over, you know, on the other side at Browns Valley and went up and, and got on the Minnesota side and took two limits. He wanted to know if he could do that. That is an excellent question. I'm digging through the fishing handbook trying to find that one. Yeah, I didn't is, run this it, one. By is he allowed? A... I'm... No. What was that? Nope, he's not. Uh, whether not you allowed? have. Yep. No. Whether you have two licenses or not, uh, you you can't can't do it. Um, now that being said, it brings up an interesting thing, where if you have a North Dakota, let's say a North Dakota pheasant license and a South Dakota pheasant license, I think technically you can take a limit in each in each state. Um, you know, as long as they're kept separately and whatever. But um, it's a gray area. But yeah, that one that one I didn't know and and um. Yeah, you can only take take uh, you know your one daily limit, and that's I would guess that's because, you know, it, it's not a, you know, there probably technically really is a, a state line there, but it's it's a shared right. shared water, so yeah, that one kind of stumped I, I me. I can't honestly say I'm a good enough fisherman to catch two limits. I'm lucky if I can catch one limit. No, I know you're being I mean, modest. And, <laughs> I know you're being modest, and you're just lying now. So, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah, some days. <laughs> <laughs> some days right but no that's that's an interesting one i i, I had to think about that yeah huh. i didn't i i would have got it wrong you know initially my initial reaction was yeah go, yeah sure you got licenses in both um but no you can only have one license one limit i mean i guess it's i guess it's the same water body so i mean you're still taking more than your fair share so to say right. that like felt. Now, I, I suppose you could drive to another lake in Minnesota, and I guess that'd be a different situation, would it? Or am I getting very deep into the world? Well, you know, I I would wonder, I mean, we might have to come back to this one, but I would wonder if it depends upon if you launched and trailered in South Dakota, if you could then go to mm. Minnesota. We're going to have to, I'll, I'm going to ask that question, and we'll have the follow-up answer uh, maybe in the next week or so. Yeah, no, that's a good one because I, I know a lot of people that like say they say they fish the flats on the river out of their boat and then they go and they go shore fishing that night because that's usually when shore fishing picks up. But regardless, it's not about trip; it's about it's about the day. It's about that right. twenty four hour period. Right. So you're regardless whether you catch them out of a boat or four different lakes, you're still only at four walleyes a day when right. you're fishing across the state. And spring has some really good night fishing too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, and a good chance of the big one too. Yep. Yep, yep. So, so what what else is rattling your cage? 
the other one we're thinking I'm still thinking about Lake Oahe here and the road to Bush's Landing. How is that looking? That seems like something we're always talking about this yep. time of year. And that that is a, that's been an issue every year, every other year. And uh, I just actually did a press release. I think it's going out today or tomorrow that that popular fishing destination of Bush's Landing that that road is closed. Um Okay. Not not really sure. Talking to Sully County folks, not really sure when that is going to happen. It has has to do with wet ground and and ground sloughing really badly on the road. And and um, talking to some of the parks folks, you know, it's pretty much impassable. So uh, Bush's Landing is going to be closed for the foreseeable future. And right now, that's not a big issue. Uh, it is to a certain extent with some pike fishermen and stuff. But you know, as we go on and that bite on Oahe picks up, that is a big big ramp. And a, and a really good bite up there, and, and so that's going to affect some access there and, and uh, probably make some of our other our uh, other boat ramps and stuff a little busier, but hopefully they can they can get to it, um, and when they do, I guess we'll let everybody everybody know, but also be sending out an email to a lot of the Missouri River Pier, um, you know, Mobridge, Gettysburg Angler saying, hey, heads up, you know, that's going to be closed. So it's kind of a bummer, but... but- I mean, we say that we say that scary closure word and around a boat launch. Right. This is, this is not COVID nineteen related. Right. This right. Is, this is mother nature related, and this much like those fish consumption advisories. Right. This is this is not a one off thing. Put it put it this way: the this ramp happens. is open. <laughs> the ramp is open. The road is closed. That's probably a better way. <laughs> Good <to put> luck. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, we'll be we'll be um we'll be keeping people in, in advised of that, and, and and that's a bummer, but uh. You know, we don't have control of that road. Once that road turns kind of to gravel a little further, we've helped with some maintenance and uh, some payments on some maintenance and stuff of that. But that's a county thing. And and, uh, I'm sure Scott Simpson, the director of parks, and uh, Ryan Pursun and that crew up there is probably talking to the, the, uh, the county folks and trying to figure out how we can get something worked out so we can get some anglers in there. So sticking with boats and fishing... Uh, had quite a few of uh, folks actually now that this weather's getting nice saying that they're having problems and they're worried about registering their boat because you know local courthouses and treasurer's offices are closed they're worried about getting a ticket if they don't have the you know the right um, right sticker on their boat the right registration on their boat what should folks should be doing there Nick and I think this is one of those wonderful things of people helping people is those we understand it's hard for everyone, and there are there are not going to be tickets being wrote for not having your boat registered because because you can't get into the office because you can't get that kind of stuff. They're offering a grace period. I don't remember for how long they said, but I think you have I think you have 30 days after office is open or something like that. Yep. It's it's very it's very understanding. Right. And I think that's the same with our with our vehicles as well. Yep. I I got mine. Uh, I got mine before I was in that 90-day window, and I did it over the phone. It was actually, it was actually fairly easy. I didn't have to stand in line or anything, so I might do that for, yeah. if they let me for the near future. <laughs> kind of absentee. No, we're, we're not going to be. Yeah, yeah, we're not. We're not going to be cracking down on that. That's going to be once once we're past this, once we're through this, we'll we'll get it all taken care of. And like I said, it was it was very painless over the phone. So see if, see if they can do that for you too, and then you don't have to worry about it. Because I know I'd forget. Right. There's some stories around that, but we don't need to bring that up. Yeah. 
<laughs> Statute of limitations is probably over on that anyway. So. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, nope. It, we're 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 pretty understanding on that one. So we're, we've got everybody taken care of there. Yeah, I just need my new boat to come in so it can be an issue for me. Right, even your boats under your new boats under quarantine. That's a that's a kick in the shorts. <laughs> so. Oh, it's it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. Well, I got another one for you. I'm going to I'm going to hit you with. Um this time of year, you know, we're encouraging people to go out, you know, walk, hike, you know, social distancing. Um but it's also, you know, kind of coming towards the end of shed hunting um season, but it's still good because the grass isn't greening up and it's yet and it's not tall, so you can find those deer sheds. But it's also coming up especially around here and down in the southeast morel mushroom hunting. And folks are asking, had two or three of them, you know, can I, can I shed hunt? Can I morel mushroom hunt on GFP lands? Can I just go hiking on a game production area? Um, lots of, lots of questions and interest on that. So. Yes. So that's, that's a fully loaded question because when, when we say public lands, we say that pretty broadly, Right. but in the reality, there are various types of the public lands we enjoy and they're under various ownerships as well. Right. So when, when you're out looking at those lands and you see a game production area, or we're going to probably fire off a bunch of acronyms here, GPA, those are lands that are owned by the department, and those are open to public recreation. Go morel mushroom hunting, go shed hunting, walk the dog, do a little hiking. Right. Like, go have at it. Those are open. Now, walk-in areas, and this is a big program we have, WIAs, those are actually private lands leased by the department for hunting only. And when we say hunting only, there's no fishing, there's no trapping, there's no dog training, there's no shed hunting, morel mushroom hunting. It is physically hunting only. So if you're on one of those walk-in areas, you're turkey hunting at this time of year. There's, There's nothing else you're doing on it. Now, if you get landowner permission... That's that's completely fine. It'd be just like any other private land you might have. Right. Now, here's the next one. So we're talking CREP lands, another good acronym for you, Conservation Reserve Enhancement Program, similar to our walking areas that they're hunting, but they do allow fishing as well. Those would be in the James River Valley. Yep. And so they're open to hunting and fishing, but once again, you're going to need landowner permission for that trapping, dog training, morel mushroom hunting any of that type of stuff. And then we've got all the various types of public lands because I can't keep it straight. I started here, and all they did was throw about 50 acronyms and <laughs> right. CRPs and, and CREPs and right. WIAs and all this right. type of stuff. CHAPs, I need to throw those in there. You can go to our website, gfp.sd.gov slash hunting areas, and that's going to tell you about all the different types of public lands we have out there and to enjoy. But it is really important that we do follow those, like those walking areas because, those are private land contracts, yep. and if, if we aren't showing that respect that we have, going back to the fishing fishing conversation, if we aren't showing respect and we're leaving litter and stuff like that, that landowner probably doesn't want to enroll again, and come hunting season, that might not be somewhere we can go anymore, and more than likely, it's someone's secret honey hole, right. too, so they'll be really upset. Yep, and, so, I, and the, the other thing that's kind of important, and that's, I mean, you covered it, Nick, but kind of important that when we say you know gfp lands that includes state parks and rec areas too so you can go out and shed hunt now and and hunt morel mushrooms in those areas if they're if they're there you know and i know they are in this neck this neck of the woods especially and then down in the southeast and some of those state park lands 
you know, go out and recreate and do that stuff. Um, but yeah, your, your point is well taken. And it kind of even gets to the next question about, um, target shooting. Uh, had a guy, I had a long conversation, even ended up talking to him on the phone about target shooting on a game production area or a waterfall production area. Um, that, that, you know, it, our game production areas, absolutely, you can go out and shoot unless they're po posted no target shooting. Um, you know, a lot of our state park and rec areas have archery ranges. Um, you know, we built some shooting ranges that, you know, there's a lot awesome one in Watertown and there's one in Pier and stuff. You can go out and shoot on there. But my question to you is, can you shoot on a waterfall production area? And that's owned by the federal government, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Yep. Can you target shoot on a waterfall production area? So we are now getting, yeah, we're getting even deeper. Now we're talk, not even talking state land. Right. But no, you, 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 cannot, you cannot target shoot on the waterfowl production area. But what I'm going to tell you is, and Chris, you hit on it, you can go and on our gfd.fd.gov slash ranges, we're going to have our archery and shooting ranges. They're going to be all, they're going to show you what we have at the state parks. You'll see what lower Oahe downstream has to have and North Point, Farm Island. There's a lot of good information on that as well. So you can find your nearest shooting range right there. And it's also important to note that when people ask us about ranges, some of them may be privately owned. And that is something that is not associated with GFP as well. So right. you would want to reach out to those people individually. Right. So I, I get that question a lot, and I do not have the right answer because that's, that's not under us. Yep, yep. But, it, you know, it does bring up an interesting question. We always try to, you know, make things easy. Uh, you know, and clear for folks as much as possible. And it, it, it's like you, we talk about barriers and hurdles all the time. And sometimes this stuff gets confusing and people are just, they're like, ah, never mind. It's, it's too much of a hassle, um, you know, to do it. Um, you, you know, reach out to us and ask. Um, yeah, we know, especially in something like this, it gets a little confusing, but we're trying to make it as, as straightforward, at least on the stuff that we control or that, you know, that, that we have, um, you know, the GPAs, that's public land. That's for the public. So it's everybody's land, um, you know, but some of those things don't fall into our jurisdiction and, and you know, other agencies and, and governmental agencies have other ideas. So, um, you know, always ask if you have a question. But generally on our the land that is owned by the state of South Dakota Game Fish and Parks is open to do that stuff. So clears my and, and And just just to fall back up on that, Chris, I'm going to give one more plug to that hunting areas because the big thing I say is when people say public land, they just see it as public land. Right. But we have the signs that you're going to see on that area, too, on our website and what right. that's going to look like. So when ah, you see point. a game production area in big letters, it's going to say state game production area, right. whereas like that waterfowl production area, that one you're going to see, it's going to be a different color. And then first thing right at the top, waterfowl production area. So you can see what those signs look like. Right. Because like you said, not all public land is, is created equally, so to say. They're all various they're, they're all various different types and ownerships and what you can and can't do. Right. But those signs, that's the number one thing I point people to is what's that sign say? Because that's going to be front and center. And then you know you're going to be good to go or no, you shouldn't go there. Right. Yeah, good point. Got a lot of guys and gals putting up a lot of spending a lot of time putting up signs <laughs> yep yeah i think that's one of those solitary activities all right i think, I think uh, we're good to go those, absolutely right? absolutely they're activity. usually out there fencing though and if you've ever fenced by yourself you know that's a really sucky job so <laughs> I, I, you can I spread have. out that though is, uh, you can spread out yeah no 
it's solitary. It's just not fun. Right. <laughs> cool. What uh, else you got, yeah. Nick? I'm kind of running out. I was gonna say I'm I'm running out of I'm running out of questions too, but the big the big question I want to ask you is what have you been doing as an outdoor user? How has how has it impacted you? When I mean when we talked last week about when we go to buy bait, we've been buying bait in bigger swaths. Right. And me and you have been running aerators to keep our minnows alive. What other things have you been doing? differently that we might not have this time of year because of that COVID-19. You know, I, I think a good example is, you know, this time of year, everybody's got cabin fever anyway. You get three or four nice days and then it turns crappy. And then, you know, it, it the sun might be shining, but the wind is howling. And then the next day, like today, it's, it's nice, but it's cloudy and the wind isn't quite as blowing as hard. You know, what I've found with my family is, um, you know, probably getting back to those when Charlie was really little, going out, um, you know, driving out to Farm Island and fishing for 20 minutes and having a picnic and then coming in and calling it good. Or the other day we drove down to um, DeGray to see if we could see a turkey and, you know, got food to go and um, and just sat on the tailgate of the Tahoe and, and ate and let the dogs run and blew bubbles and let the dogs chase, you know, bubbles all over and and these probably these more like family together outings. We used to do it a lot when Charlie was a baby to three or four, because, you know, you obviously you're introducing it to them, but they just couldn't do it for, you know, Charlie, Charlie loves to fish, but she loves to fish for an hour even now. And then she's done. So we've been taking a lot more of these shorter outings, trying to do it every day. My dogs are surely getting a lot of exercise. And I know my neighborhood dogs, none of them have ever had this much exercise in their lives. They're getting walked you know, left and right. So I think it's that kind of stuff. You know, I've never been much of like a hiker. Um, you know, we threw in a couple of pair of binoculars in our vehicle. So when we're out doing these things, we're, we're watching birds and, um, that kind of stuff, you know, I've, I've shore fished a lot more this year than I have in the last couple of years, just because, you know, you get busy, you don't know because you're not old enough to have all the responsibilities of a real adult, but you fish all the time and I'm (laughs) jealous as heck, but but yeah, that, that kind of stuff, I guess, you know, just these short outings. And even if it's 20, 30 casts and, 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 um, I, I bought, uh, Melissa, a couple of rods that break down that fit right in the Acadia and a, a new little tackle box. So she's, you know, her and Charlie even went out, um, the other day without me when I was pike fishing, they went out to farm Island and casted, and that's something they haven't done, you know, probably in five or six years. And, and, you know, I said, did you catch anything? And Melissa was like, we didn't really want to catch anything. We just wanted to be fishing, you know, and we talked about it last week or, you know, our last podcast. So I guess it's that it's, it's a lot, you know, kind of focusing on just getting out and doing those things. And and now that it starts warming up and the white bass start going and we can find some crappies and stuff. Yeah. We're going to want to go out for a little longer and catch fish. But for right now, it's just going out and doing outings and being away, um, you know, trying to get away from the crowds and, and, but just like, being out and looking and fishing a little bit but it's more of those family outings kind of stuff and letting the dogs run and stuff so it's a good question what about you i know you fit you're fishing a ton yeah we've we've been out a lot my fishing notebook has quite a few entries in it but just going back to what you said for those that aren't in pier all the locations he listed are not more than what 15 20 minutes the gray's probably the far of this yeah but i mean you're keeping it in under a half hour trip. Absolutely. And we're really spoiled. Yeah, we're really spoiled here in South Dakota that 
we have these local resources. I mean, here we're really spoiled. We have Lake Sharp and Lake Oahe in our backyard, literally. I, I run by it every single day. But there's a lot of options, and maybe it's not your favorite park, and maybe you aren't going to Custer on the weekends. But, you know, find your local park and go out for a picnic, go out for 20, 30 minutes, and play with the dogs for a little bit. And, you know, that just helps keep us sane. But then to address your point, yep, uh, we've uh, – We've been out fishing a lot. We've been doing shore fishing, and then luckily my buddy's got his boat in. So we have I have been out with him a few times on that, you know, make and make sure everything worked. Right. But no, we've been out we've been out a lot. We fished off the stealing basin, we fished off the wall there, we caught some fish. Um we haven't done Farm Island yet. I wanted to try to catch some catfish. Right. But that's probably still a little early there. Eh, we can probably catch them maybe. Yeah, you catch them now. But <clears throat> Yeah, I think we're going to go, I think tonight we're going to go down towards that Fort George area, because one thing I noticed Sunday was just a gorgeous day, and that whole shoreline, it's it's a big flat, it's about three and a half, four feet deep, and it's just loaded with walleyes, and carp too, we found one of those. Yeah, I I, I was down there last night, um, uh, and it was it was okay, it was best, you know, after dark. Um, but it, yep. we caught a few fish and like I said, I got out of, got off my schneid. So, um, and I got a lot of friends that fish down there and it's that, you know, that's why I kind of asked Bob about it. Cause it seems like this time of year, it's always really good and it's still a little slow, but there are fish there. So, and it's nice. And you know, it, and like you said, your point is well taken, whether you live in lemon or hot springs or, you know, Sioux city, um, or Siston, you know, all the corners, there's right in your backyard. You don't have to go very far. And, and, you know, you've got, you know, some really, really good resources, good fishing, especially this time of year. I mean, those fish are up close and shallow and, and, you know, you don't need a boat. You can go out and pick a spot. And if you don't catch fish, pick up and go to a different spot. Um, so yeah, it's, we're lucky. I've got some friends that are, are living in Minneapolis that are South Dakota people that are really, you know, they've, they're, they're fed up with it. Uh, they can't go anywhere. Um, and, and I sympathize with those folks and, 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 but we're, we're lucky and we got to remember that. And, and it's hard to remember that sometimes that man, just right out our back door, pretty much no matter where you live, um, you, you've got some good stuff just right there. So I got yep. one more, exactly. and, one more question for you Nick, for and, and I didn't share this with you and I might, this might stump you because I'm still not sure if I know the right answer. How many Uh-oh, hooks? That means I don't get paid. Yeah, right. Neither one of us. How many hooks can you use while fishing? I want to use an Alabama rig or a three-way rig to go fishing. Okay. Now this one I can actually I can actually take this one. So we've got three hook rule here in South Dakota. Two lines, but three hooks per line. Now, when we say hooks. A treble hook or a single hook, like an Aberdeen or an octopus hook, those are all one hook. So don't look at a treble hook and say that, say, your generic shad wrap has six hooks on it. Right. It's, only got, it's only got two. So those Alabama rigs are legal as long as only three of them have hooks on them. So w- when you look at those, what a lot of people do is take, like, a swivel or put, like, those swim baits still on it. But then in the grand scheme of things, only three of them are going to have the business end of them. So you still right. have the Alabama rig at, at its core, but you're still being legal by only making sure that you have three hooks out there. Does that does that kind of make sense and cover it? Yep. Yep. And, uh, yeah, you drilled okay. it. So, of course, two lines, uh, regular fishing, 
uh, four lines through the ice. But uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I, but yeah, we got that's the two fishing. Yep. Yep. That's that's that was the question. But I had those those two questions back to back, and I was like, hi. I think I know it, like Alabama rig, for what people don't know, it's like this, it looks like an umbrella, and there's like nine or ten little, uh, you know, like swim baits or something kind of attached to them. Um, in a lot of places, you can have a hook on all of them. In South Dakota, you can only have three. So, and then a and, and another. Go ahead. Another popular rig for that, too, is like drop shotting, too. Right. That's something that's really popular down in the south. I actually dropped, learned how to drop shot on Table Rock Lake in Missouri, Branson, Missouri. But drop shot is something that you can have quite a few hooks on that business end too. Right. Well, three hooks. Yeah. But that's another rig. Yeah, and I, and I know some crappie, crappie fishermen too that use like a crappie rig, standard crappie rigs, which most people know. But they also use like they'll tie three or four or five little jigs, like real light crappie jigs. Well, you could do that here, but there can only be three of them on there. So. Right. Cool. Yep. I've used I've used rigs like that for crappie too. I put like a jig head on the bottom, yep. and then I'll do a couple of hooks above, and one might be maybe put a minnow on the jig, and then put a minnow on the top hook, and a crawler in the middle, right. or something like that. I, I like those little like one inch tube jigs too for yep. crappie. Too. Love those. Things. Yep, yep. So that's another that's another good rig. Just as long as you're within three, I won't say hooks, but even like something you can catch fish on. So right. say a treble hook and a and an Aberdeen hook are the same thing. Something right. you can catch them on. Yep. So, oh, well, you drilled that one. No, that's a, that's a good question. Well, brother, I think we're going to wrap it up. Uh, this is good stuff. It's too nice to be inside. My, I, I know my kid wants to go ride bikes. I don't even remember the last time I've been on a bike, but uh, that, so that'll be interesting. But thanks for your time. Get out and fish. Uh, for all of you out there, thanks for listening to us. If you got questions, uh, share them with us on our social media pages or um, – you know, just call us, I guess. <laughs> but thanks, Nick. I appreciate yeah. it. Good job as always. Uh, if you have any extra fillets, you know, you know where I live. You could just throw them at my window as you drive by. You don't even need to slow down. Heck, you don't even need to clean them. Just drop them off at my front door. Uh, my, I was going to say, you know, mailbox? That's right. Dead fish in the just, mailbox? Just let me know that they're there. Is but... there anything mafia related? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Three walleye heads. What the heck? So, Cool. Well, thanks, buddy. Get out and enjoy the outdoors. Sounds good. You too. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yep. Take care, buddy. Bye.